Have you ever wanted to play the perfect tabletop game where story beats run smoothly and there's no awkward pauses between dice rolls? Yeah, me too. But since that's impossible, I did the next best thing and novelized my Witcher tabletop game to showcase the story in its cleanest form. The result is this podcast. I'm Jacob Gerstel, and this is Tales from the Witcher. Part audiobook, part actual play, part serialized adventure, and a whole new way to vicariously enjoy tabletop games. Welcome to the world of The Witcher, where monsters roam freely and the continent is once again at war. If you were hoping to follow the plight of Geralt of Rivia, however, I'm not going to be doing that. Instead, I offer you the story of a not-so-merry band of degenerates who are making their way across the continent. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Honest End 12. Carmignol awoke in a cold sweat, clawing at his scarred throat. He had the same nightmare that plagued him periodically, where he's a member of Signet's committee in the town of Undying, and he gets his throat slit for witchcraft. Only this time, the townsfolk carrying out the execution had bloody rivulets running down their eyes, nose, and mouth. Otto meowed and rubbed his head against Carmignola's ribs and purred. He petted the cat and waited for his breathing to stabilize. Thanks, boy. I'm all right, he said. Think some fresh air might do me good. Carmignola threw the blanket off his cot and stepped outside. It was full dark, but there were several sources of light. The stars and moon, for one. The fires dotting the Nilfgaardian camp, for another. As well as the pinpricks of light on Alander's parapets. No doubt Alander's guards glowered down at the Nilfgaardians, wondering when their next attack will be. Havert had been starting skirmishes with increased frequency, at all hours of the day. The black cloaks had been repelled so far, but... Carmignola heard a cough to his right. Instinct compelled him to look. He saw Marshal Havert Bar Mahoen in front of his command tent nearby, smoking a pipe. Havert coughed again, pounded his chest, then looked in Carmignola's direction. It was dark, so Carmignola couldn't see the marshal's expression, but he recognized the come-here motion well enough. No helping it, he whispered to Otto. The two walked over. Havert was dressed in a rumpled cloth uniform, the medals pinned to his chest catching starlight. In his hand was a well-worn wooden tobacco pipe, faint embers glowing in the chamber. I didn't expect to see you awake at this hour, doctor, Havert said. You been sleeping much? Carmignola thought to ask Havert the same question, but knew it was impertinent. So he simply answered, No. That's no good, Havert said, shaking his head. You need your rest. I'm depending on you to solve this bloody run. I appreciate your faith in me, Carmignola said, and meant it. Receiving praise from a superior had always felt good, and this was no exception. But I don't want you to think I can cure this disease single-handedly. The best I can do is arrest its progress. True. Havart drew in from his tobacco pipe, exhaled pale smoke, and offered it to Carmignola. The doctor shook his head. You've done well in the camp these last few days. All the barber surgeons look to you for guidance with this bloody run. Carmignola couldn't help but snort. For all the good it's doing, people are dying by the cartload. Then he remembered who he was talking to and quickly added, I'm sorry, that was uncouth. Never be sorry for stating the truth, Havert said. 
He looked up at the moon and stars, eyes shifting rapidly as if trying to map all the constellations. The fact remains that you're the best doctor we have in camp. I'd hate to lose you. I'm not going anywhere, unless this damn disease takes me. That's not what I meant. Havert didn't break his gaze with the sky. If your companions come back, he said, will you leave with them? The question caught Carmignola off guard. He knew Havert and Ethramel were old friends, but it seemed like the marshal hadn't given Ethramel a second thought since he disappeared behind a lander's walls. And for good reason. Havert had enough on his mind without worrying about his friend. Carmignola hadn't considered that before, how there must have been an invisible burden on Havert's shoulders, and whether there was even room to pile his personal relationships on top of it. Still, Carmignola would be lying if he said he hadn't given Havert's question thought recently. He supposed he could set back on the road, with or without his companions, but to what end? Carmignola had been wandering for years, and it had gotten him little but hungry days, cold nights, and more than a few brushes with death. But, Carmignola often wondered next, where would he settle? The Duchy of Gorsvelin, in Tameria, seemed the most likely answer. He was old friends with Duke Sebastian Magvild, and had gone through great lengths back in Mahakam to establish himself as a distant noble relation. Looking back on it, Carmignola had to admit it all seemed foolish. In the face of unrelenting death from an unknown disease, which could take his life at any moment's notice, the last thing he cared about was being seen as a nobleman that brooked respect, or a monster hunter for that matter. Carmignola was neither of those things. He was a doctor, and a damned good one at that. And it's the only thing that makes you happy, Carmignola realized. Yes, that seemed to be the clearest reason when all was said and done. Why did he always feel the urge to pretend he was more than he was? Slaying monsters with Beatrix hadn't made him happy, nor did wandering the roads with companions that seemed as aimless as him. As scary and exhausting as it was, Carmignola felt most at home treating the sick. I don't know, he eventually said. Havert took a deep breath, his shoulders slumping with the exhale. Understandable, of course, so I can only tell you my thoughts. I'd like you to stay with us in the camp, even after this siege is over. Carmignola blinked, but I'm not an elf guardian. Neither were most of the soldiers here at one time or another, Havert said. He broke his gaze from the sky and smiled at Carmignola, including your friend, Colonel Mark. He's from the province of Gamera, remember? But the Empire welcomed him just the same once they took over. Carmignola didn't know what to say, so he just nodded. I'm only asking because I recognize talent when I see it, Havert said. You can go far in the Empire if you stay. Otto meowed, and Carmignola knelt and petted the cat's head as he thought. Could it all be that simple, staying with Nilfgaard? Everything had always seemed so complicated to the doctor, from his desire for recognition, to Beatrix's curse, to his plan to become a noble, and he treated every problem as if a complex solution was needed. And where's that gotten you? Carmignola thought again. He knew the answer, of course, and yet, old habits died hard. It's a big decision, he finally said. I'll need some time to think on it. I don't plan on leaving before this siege is over. Regardless, there's too much to do. Understandable. I don't mean to pressure you. Havert looked again to the stars, as if the solutions to all his woes were written there. Good night, Doctor. Good night, Marshal. Carmignola left the Marshal to his thoughts, but he did not go back to his tent. He still wasn't tired. With Otto padding along at his side, Carmignola walked to the stables, pondering Havert's request. Typically, he visited the stables twice a day, once in the morning and once at night, 
to see his horse Lampsy. It soothed him to take a break from the death and unknown. In the stables, there was a simple peace. The horses didn't know any better, and Lampsy was always happy for the attention and affection. There was another reason Carmagnola visited the stables. It's where Zevo, Jeremiah, and Ethramel left their horses before sneaking into a lander. Periodically, in moments of quiet like this, Carmagnola wondered how the three of them were doing inside Alander's walls. He was surprised at his outburst with them before they snuck into the city, and even more surprised at how good it felt after. It was as if all his pent-up frustration at his traveling companions was thrown out in one go. He felt he had said all he needed to say to them, which was good, considering they may die in Alander. And I may die here, of the bloody run, Carmagnola thought. So the doctor's mind turned back to the Red Death that continued to burrow into the camp. A few dozen Nilfgaardians were dying daily now, and he knew that number would soon rise. The siege camp was simply too cramped. Carmignola pondered his own sense of purpose and mortality. It was impossible not to. Carmignola entered the stables and saw a gangly elf with burn scars petting Enye. The horse nickered, and Ethramel noticed Carmignola. Both of them stood where they were, regarding each other, the only sound, the irregular clomping of hooves. Um... Carmignola said. This might have been the last thing he expected to see. Hello, Ethramel. Ethramel nodded. Hello, Carmignola. It's good to see you. How, uh, how is everything? Everything is, uh, it's all right. It's good to see you, too. Otto meowed and rubbed against Carmignola's leg. He picked the cat up, thinking of what to say. Do you often teleport to the stables in the middle of the night? No, it's my first time. What brings you here so late? I like to visit Lampsy. And check to see if our horses are still here? Carmignola didn't answer. Ethramel scratched Enya's nose. Don't worry, we've no use for our trusty steeds yet. Though if you did find the stables empty, I'm sure you'd have no trouble following our trail. If you had a mind to. Carmignola nodded, and Otto nestled deeper into his chest. I suppose. How are things in a lander? Less than ideal, certainly. But I'm trying to fix that. And how are the others? I don't know, actually. Jeremiah is seldom at the bulwark, and Zevo disappeared with his witcher friends this morning. Witcher friends? Right. It's a long story. I don't have time to share it now, unfortunately. I've got to speak with Havert about something important. Was that why the Northgardian Marshal was up and smoking at this ungodly hour? It would explain why he asked Carmignola if he'd leave with his old companions. Ethramel was on his mind already. There was a lot Carmignola didn't know, obviously. But that was fine with him. He was focusing on the thing that really mattered, preventing needless death. He had promised many Nilfgaardians on their deathbed that everything would be okay. Carmignola hoped that was true, but he had his doubts. Your throat, Ethramel said. Carmignola's hand reflexively covered his Adam's apple. What about it? I took care of you after Luthuli slashed your throat, before we reached Kalmec and the Scoyatel. That was true. The doctor had a vivid flashback of Ethramel scraping the detritus off his burning throat by the campfire in dark and unfamiliar woods. You did. I just wanted to share time where I took care of you, Ethramel said, since we were evidently keeping count. Yes, you did, Carmignola repeated. Thank you. For what it's worth, though, I am sorry for the way I treated you. We all are sorry, I think. Thank you. I accept your apology. Ethramel nodded, held his position for a moment, then strode past the doctor and said, 
It was good seeing you, Carmagnola. Take care of yourself, okay? Carmagnola turned and said, You too, Ethramel. Take care of yourself. The sorcerer disappeared into the dark to discuss something of importance with Havert. Carmagnola struggled to process that exchange. He thought of a dozen things he wanted to ask and tell Ethramel. What was going on in the lander? Why had he lost touch with Jeremiah and Zevo? How did he think all of this would turn out? But it was too late now. Otto meowed and clawed at Carmagnola's arms, bringing him back. Ow, he said, dropping the cat. Otto stretched and once again rubbed against the doctor's leg. Carmagnola spent a few minutes with Lampsy, Ingot, Diabol, and Enye before deciding he would go back to sleep. Of course, sleep didn't come. Carmagnola stayed up all night, thinking of the life he'd had and wondering on a life that could lead to an honest end. 13. A roach scuttled by Jeremiah's foot as he knocked on Yana's door. He kicked it away, grimacing at the pain in his side as he did so, and watched it skitter across the hall and crash against a dirty baseboard. The roach struggled to right itself, thin legs grasping the air for purchase. The craftsman found himself engrossed in the insect's struggle, and likely would have watched for the next hour had he not heard Yana and Silva giggling like schoolgirls behind the door. Jeremiah knocked again, and Yana answered the door. Her face was unadorned with makeup, which was a rarity. She dressed in a comfortable-looking cotton shirt and pants. Her curly hair, normally brushed and glossy, was tied back. Is now a good time, Jeremiah said. For you? Always. Come in, Yana said. Silva was sitting at Yana's vanity, chair tilted back on its legs as she kicked her feet up. She nodded at Jeremiah. Pleasure seeing you again. And you, Jeremiah said. So how are things faring at the guild, Yana said, closing the door. It's faring, Jeremiah said, sitting on the bed. I spent the morning showing Jalduk Brigga how to make my split bolts. I cajoled Jalduk the best I could into getting another meeting with Lily or Selene. What's that mean? Silva asked. What's what mean? Cajoled. Persuasion through flattery, Jeremiah said. Silva nodded with a serious expression and Jeremiah couldn't tell if she was mocking him or not. Yes, that's what I thought it meant. Regardless, the craftsman continued, my cajoling worked, and I spoke with Lily over lunch today. Yana raised an eyebrow. All right, so I showed up where she was eating lunch and invited myself to her table. But I still learned a lot, like that she comes from peasant stock and has two kids to support. Plenty enough reason to make some extra money for a rebellion that promises a more equitable society. Silva chuckled. Please share what you think the going rate for secretly serving the gutter rebellion is. Again, Jeremiah could not tell if Yana's apprentice was mocking him or not, so he answered seriously. If it was me, I'd want at least a few hundred crowns a year. Do you want to know what happens next or not? I do, Yana said, shooting Silva a pointed look. Apologies. Please go on. Well, after that I asked about her home and if she could point it out on a map. I showed her that gutter rebel's map we took on the Asmina River, and she clearly recognized it. Quick thinking, Keller, Yana said. I knew you were the man for the job. That's what I thought. But when I again tried to talk about the rebellion, Lily said she had to get back to work. The craftsman shook his head. I know she's in the rebellion, and she must know I'm in the rebellion now too, so I don't understand the difficulty I'm still having. Yana nodded and sat on the bed beside Jeremiah. I think you did a wonderful job. 
You've established enough familiarity and trust with Lily, I think. He did, Silva said. Yana nodded. Enough for a quickened timetable. It'll have to be enough. We'll all speak with Lily tonight. Hopefully learn everything she knows about the Gutter King and their rebellion. Why tonight? The longer we stay, the more likely we are to get starved or killed in a battle. I'd rather wrap this matter up quickly. And, no offense to an old friend, but I think you've stretched your information-gathering limits. Offense taken, but I'm choosing to ignore it. You'll be coming with me, eh? Jeremiah looked over at Silva and wrinkled his nose. You'll both be coming with me, then. Silva put her hand over her heart and said, It is an apprentice's burden to follow her master wherever she goes. Yana grinned. And someone will need to bail you out if Lily suspects you've been tricking her. I can teleport us to safety if needed. Jeremiah had to admit that gave him a modicum of comfort, though it was quickly overridden by the fear of what might happen to them if Lily knew they were just trying to gain her trust to learn more about the gutter rebellion. Look on the bright side, he said to the sorceress. Maybe things will go smoothly. Best to prepare for all eventualities. Jeremiah laughed, but it was cut short with a grunt of pain. He gripped his side without thinking. It's nothing, Jeremiah said, noticing Yana's stare. I prefer if you didn't think me stupid, Jeremiah, Yana said, not unkindly. She looked at Silva and said, leave us for a moment. Jeremiah expected a jibe, but Silva nodded and stood up. It's an apprentice's burden to leave her master, too, when ordered. When Silva left, Yana said to Jeremiah, Your side's been hurting for some time. I notice the pain on your face every time you sit down. What's going on? It's nothing, Jeremiah snapped. He got up from the bed with a grunt, and pain shot through his side so quickly he lost his breath. His feet buckled, and he would have collapsed had Yana not caught him and guided him back to the bed. Jeremiah blinked back tears of frustration, and without a second's hesitation, said in a choked voice, Yana, I think I may be cursed. The rest came out easily, Jeremiah was surprised to find. He told Yana everything, starting with his partnership in Crag Ross with Ezra of Nilfgaard. While he did not hide how he killed Ezra, he said it was done in self-defense, and not over a squabble for money. The thought of his oldest friend seeing him as a cold-blooded murderer that was too much, even in his heightened emotional state. When all was said and done, Yana put her hand on Jeremiah's and gave it a comforting squeeze. While I'm not an expert on the subject, the sorceress said, I think you may be cursed. You took a life, Jeremiah, that seldom comes without consequences. It was not my finest moment, Jeremiah admitted. He studied Yana's face, searching for a look of disgust. He couldn't find much more on her face than concern but who could say how long that might last? I'd prefer if you didn't share this with anyone. Are you sure? The Witcher might be able to... Please, Yana. For now, at least. Can you do that? Surprisingly, the sorceress nodded. All right, I'll keep it between us for now. And I'll check on mind about this kind of curse when I can. Thank you. Jeremiah got up from the bed with a grunt. I'm going to go on a walk and clear my head. Care to join me? Yana shook her head, and again Jeremiah couldn't read her expression. But she smiled and said, Not at the moment, thank you. Come get me this evening. We can speak with Lily when she's leaving the guild hall. Jeremiah opened the door to find Zevo standing outside. The witcher nodded and said, You finished? I wish to speak to Yana. 
The craftsman looked at the witcher, then back at Yana, then back at the witcher, then to the baseboard down the hall where he left the struggling roach. The bug was gone, its fate unknown. Be my guest, Jeremiah said, and left. 14. Now, didn't you discover something interesting last night? Yana said after Zevo told her everything. She took a seat at her vanity and pulled out a pot and small brush. She started painting her lips a scarlet color. That would explain who put up the anti-magic barrier around the inner city keep. And this Theo has been researching the wild hunt? So he said. The witcher paused before asking, Is it possible? Is what possible? To open a doorway to another dimension. The sorceress tilted her head. Well, we know there are other universes through the conjunction of the spheres, which brought all manner of monsters and otherworldly creatures onto our plane of existence. I suppose, if a sorcerer had enough power, he could create a portal to one of those other universes, provided he'd been there before. Zevo grunted. Sounds too simple. It's anything but. Theo shared this information with you and your viper companions willingly? Zevo nodded. I suppose he saw no reason to lie to witchers. What are we going to do about it anyway? Such things are beyond our scope. Yana pulled an opaque, heart-shaped bottle from her bag and poured a drop of liquid on her wrist. The smell of orange blossoms filled the room. But they're not beyond mine. That's why you're telling me? I'm telling you because you're working with Tabak on discovering the true nature of the wild hunt, Zevo said flatly. In truth, he hesitated telling the sorceress anything at all. But Tabak had saved his life and Zevo figured he owed it to his old friend to help in any way he can. Do with this info as you wish, but I've done my part, and I thank you for it. Where are you with your friends now? If they're so keen on learning about the wild hunt, perhaps joining the Circle of Magic would appeal to them. We could always use the witch's expertise. Gas and Letho are in hiding, said they had to decide what to do next. Ah, well I won't disturb them now at any rate. Yana looked out the window. Perhaps I'll speak to Theo tomorrow. After my business with the guild is completed. Zevo thought to ask what business she meant, but decided he'd rather not know. If it was a guild, it likely involved Jeremiah. Would explain why I haven't seen him much these last few days, the witcher thought. If the craftsman needed Zevo's help, he would ask. He was Jeremiah's bodyguard, after all. A witcher so out of work, he followed the craftsman into a sieged city because he was paid to do so. He wondered what his old mentor, Sigurd of Skellige, would think if he saw Zevo now. The witcher went back downstairs. He found Silva in the common room, doing nothing as usual. He got a drink and sat at another table, alone. Eventually, Ethramel came down and sat next to the witcher. I need a favor, the sorcerer said. Get me another drink before telling me what it is. Ethramel nodded and brought back two tankards. How would you like to go zoogle hunting? the sorcerer asked. I wouldn't, Zevo said. It was possibly the foulest contract a witcher could take, marching through the sewers to kill a tentacled monstrosity that grew to the size of a house by eating human shit. But if I was paid, I would do it just the same. And what's the going rate for a zoogle these days? 1,250 crowns. Ethermel sipped on his drink, then said, Good thing my employer has deep pockets. You see, I spoke with my good friend, Tobias of Alander, and him and the Duke's representative agreed to meet Havert to negotiate a peaceful end to this siege. That's good. Can't think of a better place to hold a peace talk than a sewer. It's discreet, and relatively safe for Havert, though it took half of last night to convince him. You've been back to the Northgardian camp, 
Zevo said. Seems everyone's been busy. I'll be there to protect Harvard if there's any funny business, Ethermel said, ignoring Zevo's comment. But if there's truth to what those Viper Witchers said, and Azugul is lurking in the sewers, well, you'll need my help. Don't make this more complicated than it needs to be, Ethermel. If I'm paid to kill a monster, I'll do it, just like I always have. Agreed? Agreed. The sorcerer drained his tankard and stood up. You'll meet those two at the sewer grate at sunset, where we originally entered this charming city. I'll be coming with Hovert from the outside. With luck, we'll be able to ride through the open front gates this time tomorrow. Zevo grunted. He had a few hours to kill before sunset, but nothing to kill it with. He drank some, but not much. He knew there likely wasn't a zoogle in the sewers, or else Gess and Letha would have found it. But if there is one down there, Zevo thought as he watched the sun lower beneath the buildings, it's incredibly adept at hiding. Not a comforting prospect. The witcher stole a glance at Silva, who excused herself to meet with Yana upstairs. Zevo stood up. There was no sense in prolonging the thing, he figured, just because he didn't want to do it. He made his way to the sewers. The witcher stalked past the lander's main gate, careful to avoid any guards or jumpy citizens. Empty of all thoughts, he reached the metal manhole covering just as the sun was setting. Zevo looked around to make sure no guards were looking down from the parapets before hauling the cover off. Zevo climbed down. Just as he was about to pull the manhole cover over himself, he heard a familiar voice say, Would you mind holding that for us? Zevo peered up to see Ethramel's friend Tobias and Theo of a lander, sorcerer and researcher of the Wild Hunt. The damned elf didn't tell him Theo would be negotiating this peace with Nilfgaard. Suddenly, the whole job seemed riskier, though Zevo couldn't specifically say why. He just knew that whenever sorcerers were involved, things always got more dangerous. Then Zevo reminded himself that such things weren't his business. He need only focus on killing a monster, if it came to it. The rest was inconsequential to an apolitical witcher like himself. So he nodded and pushed the manhole cover aside, before descending into the darkness. That'll do it for this episode of Tales from the Witcher. This podcast is written and produced by Jacob Gerstel. The Witcher novels are by Andrzej Sapkowski, The Witcher games are by CD Projekt Red, and The Witcher tabletop RPG is by R. Talsorian Games. The music is by Eric Matias at soundimage.org. Be sure to leave a rating and a review, and to spread the word of this podcast far and wide. You can follow the podcast at TalesWitcherPod on X, or at TalesFromTheWitcher.Buzzsprout.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again next week.